Hi, this is Joel Scrivener, pastor of Oaks Church in McKinney, Texas. And I wanted to say thank you so much for listening, sharing, and supporting our podcast. I know that today's message is going to inspire you, challenge you, and empower you to fearlessly follow Jesus like never before. Now, let's check out today's message. Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys. Hope you guys are doing well. Um, I'm excited to continue week two of Wisdom for Life. Today's topic, uh, I was trying to do a different topic, but the Lord uh, does what he does and was leading me uh, along this and really want to talk about forgiveness today. If you're taking notes or you got a great memory, uh, title is Offense is a Moment, Offended is a Choice. Offense is a moment, but offended is a choice. As we talk about forgiveness today, forgiveness is one of the central themes of the gospel. It can be considered one of the basics. Um, It's definitely not talked about a ton in church. Uh, You would think it would be a lot more of, um, but it's one of the central themes of the gospel. But as uh, preparing for this message and even thinking about this idea, I was thinking about what C.S. Lewis was quoted as saying. He said, forgiveness... Sounds like a lovely idea until you have something to forgive. It sounds amazing. Sounds like something I should do. But so often, unforgiveness, being offended, is such an emotional, visceral reaction that we have that sometimes it can be very difficult to have a spiritual reaction. But as we dive in and we have to, as we know every Sunday and as we go on through life, we don't go through life guided by our feelings. We don't go and make decisions in life on if this is best for me, but we are kingdom-minded. We make decisions based on the Word of God. And I want to go to what Jesus said about this topic and then what his half-brother James said. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is teaching on prayer, and as he often does, he'll always teach about prayer. In this instance, he's talked about the Lord's Prayer, how to pray to God, but then he immediately transitions and starts talking about the topic of forgiveness, and that as you pray, if anything comes to mind to go and make things right with your brother, to go and make things right to your sister, to make sure that you are not just right with God, but you're right with people. And he says in verse 14, he says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. And here's the terrifying part, the unpopular part, but if you refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive your sins. And his brother James says almost the same thing verbatim in his letter, James chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. says, so whatever you say and whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others, but if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. See, if you're a believer in here, you're a Christian, you've decided to follow God, Jesus has paid for all sins, once and for all, for all time, whether people believe in him or not, and we can receive his forgiveness, we can follow him, nothing changes that. But he clearly says on multiple occasions that when I refuse to forgive other people, that it's almost like I am putting something in his way and blocking his forgiveness from entering my life. When we hold on to an offense and refuse to forgive, we are basically refusing what he's done 
for us. We have to learn to forgive. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we love you. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for not just part of your word, but all of your word, even the parts that uh, don't tickle our ears that might be kind of hard to hear sometimes, but we just choose to receive it today. God, give us the gift of eyes to see, ears to hear, and a willing heart to understand. I pray that we leave here better than the way that we came. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are here, that your presence is here as I speak to the outside, that you're speaking to the inside of people. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Recently, a brand new high school was built in Salt Lake City, Corner, Corner Canyon High School. And the future students at this school were mailed ballots to help and choose the new school's mascot. And all the kids are excited. They got some skin in the game. They get to decide what their name is going to be, uh, their mascot is going to be at the school. And they had the ballots, and they're super excited, and they all think they know what is best, uh, like we all do. And they write the mascot name, and, and they turn it in at school. And then they have a pep rally, and they announce what it's going to be. And they, the mascot that all the students chose is the cougar. And they were really excited about it, thought there was a really great ring to it. Nothing sounded better to them. They were excited to cheer we are the Cougars, the Cougars, the Corner Canyon Cougars. All I need is some pom-poms to join in with them. They're excited. They couldn't wait to cheer it. It made so much sense to them. And it didn't just make sense to them, but it was very logical. See, the Cougar, this mascot choice was not a surprising pick at all. It's a relatively popular choice. It's been embraced by the people of Utah for a long time, the fourth largest employer of the state, Brigham Young University, ever since 1924, they have been known as the Cougars here in Corner Canyons. They're in the middle of the Corner Canyons, and there's a 10,000-acre space of uninhabited land where Cougars roam safely and freely and go about their business. And they, are chose, they have chosen to be the Cougars. And all these facts present an overwhelming argument for why they should, but they turned in the vote. The Board of Education was meeting. They'd already announced what the mascot was going to be, and they started to get all these angry calls, angry emails, sitting to the board or the school, and now they say everybody, right? They were saying everybody thinks this is a horrible choice. Next time somebody says everybody thinks this, we'll ask who's everybody. Get some names. But a few people were emailing and texting leadership. And they were saying, this is a horrible decision. We shouldn't do this. And the Board of Education announced, we decided not to be called the Cougars. And they were like, why? Why can't we be called the Cougars? They said, well, it's a derogatory, derogatory connotation. They said, towards who? Some middle-aged women. We, we can't just go around calling ourselves the Cougars. It's unhealthy. Can't call ourselves that. More and more often the day, the tail is wagging the dog. It's just a few people making the loudest noise. I love what Andy Andrews says in his book, The Little Things. He says, in the scheme of life itself, not much gets much smaller than an offense. But at the same time, in our eyes, not much seems bigger than an offense. It's quite the paradox. Something that can start out so small can grow to be so 
big in our life, that it blocks the blessings, that it blocks the relationships that God has intended for you, not only to advance your life, to advance his kingdom. And it reminds me of what Jesus says in his most famous uh, message that he gave. It's found in Matthew 5, Matthew 6, and Matthew 7. In the beginning of chapter 7, he says the often quoted verse, don't judge others lest you be judged. And in verse 3, he says, and why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, hey, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't even see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Logs and specks. Jesus, when talking about forgiveness, talking about unforgiveness, equates it to a log and a speck. He says, whenever you bring something up to somebody and you think you have this grand idea of what to do or how they can be better, and you point out the little bitty speck in their eyes. Any of you even see the speck? So small. Maybe if the light is right, you can kind of see it. This little bitty speck, but he says, before you do that, check yourself and do something about that log in your own eye. How ridiculous do I look right now? If you saw me at Walmart, if you saw me at Starbucks and I'm walking around with the log in, our, in my eye, doesn't look right. But here we are noticing these small little specks that we would like to create, correct, correct about other people, personality quirks, little bitty things that we think they should do differently, walking around with things that we could do differently in the same way. When you have an offense in your life, and somebody wrongs you, somebody wounds you, more often than not, it's just something really petty, something small. Somebody looked at you wrong. This happened to me yesterday. I was driving back home, and I had somebody look at me like, do one of these, you know? I'm like, I pulled out half a foot too far. Like, I'm sorry. My sincerest apologies. And I had to forgive that person. But something that starts out as a speck, undealt with, when we choose not to forgive people, can grow into a log. See, the reason this is so easy for us to do is what we like to do is we judge others by their actions, but we judge ourselves by our intentions. We judge others externally, what we can all notice on the outside, but we know the inside of us so well, and we judge ourselves internally and by our intentions. Specs and logs. Deal with your specs before they turn into logs. So how can we learn how to operate in forgiveness? Number one, don't fall for the trap. Offense is a trap. When you think of traps, you might think of mouse traps. If you're a fisherman in here, you might think of the bait to lure fish into. If you're like me and so many others, you might think of all the times that you went into Target for one thing and you walked out with 15 things. 
It's a trap. It can be so easy to fall into these things. It can be so enticing. There's often a reason to go for the trap. It reminds me of in ancient Greece, they had their own traps that they used. I don't want to use a mouse trap for this illustration. I don't really use them a lot. I thought something might go wrong, so I went with the picture. But in those days, they called it a scandalon. And they would place these scandalon traps where it could be easily camouflaged in the middle of a bush with some high grass somewhere an animal wouldn't see. That way, when they stepped on it, or if it was out in the open, it had something enticing on it, or a smaller animal, or some sort of food, so it would want to go up, and it would snap and trap the animal. See, I find it so interesting that it's called scandalin because this is where we get the English word scandal. Unforgiveness is a trap. It can turn into something scandalous in our own lives. The New Testament writers would use this word to describe an offense or a stumbling block. Jesus, even himself, said that he was the cornerstone or the stumbling block. You know Jesus is offensive I don't know if you ever go around quoting Jesus or really reading his life, but man, Jesus could be offensive. You know, in the same way in the year 2022 here in McKinney, Texas, that having a biblical worldview is offensive. You know, if you believe in the word of God and practice the word of God, despite what culture says, you know how offensive that can be. But yet, Sometimes we drop the Bible. Sometimes we drop our values. And man, we just want to take the easy way. We just want to get along. We want to be nice. We want to be loving. We say, man, Brandon, God is love. I'm, I'm just going to love despite. And you should love. But you should also be holy. You know, Scripture says twice that God is love. But Scripture also says 400 times that God is holy. See, being a, a Christian, you should definitely walk in love. But man, you got to walk out your holiness. You got to walk out your standards. And a lot of times, it's not the easy thing. It can be the hard thing, the hard thing to do. And because it's hard, not a lot of people do it. Having a biblical worldview, having a Christian worldview can be very Offenses, offensive, but the reality is, and this might just seem like too much data, but you know the reality is that you can choose to be offended, and in the same time, you can choose not to be offended. Yet we get our emotions involved, and your emotions hit your body with this brute force where all you see is this little splinter. The other day, I was doing some yard work. I got this little bitty splinter. It's all I could notice. I forgot about my arms, my legs, my head, everything else, my job. And I'm focusing on this little tiny thing till I can remove it. But if we just let it fester, if we let it grow, it can derail your life. And offense produces a moment of emotional confusion. But have you noticed, looking back, when you get over something, 
Or maybe when you say it out loud what you're mad about, it's never as significant as it seems. It's never as significant as we make it out to be. You can choose how you act despite how you feel. A number of years ago, I believe it was 2013, 14, I was leading a youth ministry at a McKinney campus of a church called Legendary Youth. And we'd have three services a week, two on Sundays, one on Wednesdays. Uh, middle schoolers, high schools, had a lot of adult leaders, couldn't really uh, handle just a lot of kids just by yourself. So we had a lot of leaders, had about a good number of kids. And I remember uh, this one time we had this leader and, and I saw a coaching opportunity and there was something that was uh, really rubbing people the wrong way. And I didn't want her to just do it, not just for her sake, but we're also partnering with parents and helping pastor their kids. So I want to make sure our leaders are doing a good job representing our leadership, our church, and the Lord. And I remember this one time, I, we scheduled a meeting, and I brought this uh, lady in, and, and my wife was in there, and we met with her. And I did the classic sandwich. I said something nice. I said how great she was doing at such and such, one, two, three. They were all true things. But then I mentioned something really little. And I put it as not, this is something wrong with you, but at this is an opportunity for growth. This is room for improvement. I have areas where I have room for improvement. We all do. You do. Can you make the small adjustment for us? And then I put the bottom part, part of that sandwich, and I said something nice again. I said something positive, something that was true. But you know, all this lady noticed was that little thing that I said in the middle. And she got so offended. I didn't see her for years. Stopped serving. Couldn't get a hold of her. Left the youth ministry. Left the church. Saying how angry she was. But I moved on. Six years later, I'm in my living room. We're probably done watching a show or there's a commercial. And I get on my phone and I start checking social media. And I get on Facebook, and I really wish the Facebook Messenger app was totally separate, and I didn't get these dings on here, and I'm a little bit OCD, and I just got to check things, which is why I just take things off my phone. But I checked on the Messenger app, and I see that this person messaged me, and honestly, I was trying to remember who it was, but I, I saw the name and the face, and I remembered, and I clicked on it. And she said, hey, bro. I'm at this conference right now, and they're encouraging us to forgive the people in our lives that we have offenses toward. She said, I, I thought I didn't have anybody, but then you came to mind. <laughs> Brandon, I have hated you since that meeting. I have been so offended at what you said, but... I have chosen to get over it. I forgive you. Good luck in your calling and your ministry. Sayonara. Right? That's it. And I read it. I kind of laughed. Kind of kept moving. You know, here's the truth of the matter. You know, unforgiveness doesn't wound them. It wounds you. I had no idea. Can I tell you how many times I had no idea? 
and I made somebody mad, and they told me about it later, and I said, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to package it like that, and I always own it, no matter what, just to make things right with them, but a little bitty thing that grew to be so big. Don't fall for the trap. You know, the sad reality is that most professing Christians are the most offendable people on earth. Notice I said professing, not you, right? It can be so easy to keep track and keep score and see how other people have wronged us. Sometimes we forget that he already forgave the inexcusable in us. Can't fall for the trap. Number two, forgive as many times as it takes. Like many children, probably like a lot of you in here, I had parents who had a handful of phrases that they said over and over again. It was part of their vision, part of life advice that they wanted etched into the very fabric of my DNA. And I remember one thing that definitely was etched into my DNA. It's something my dad always said. He said, Brandon, if you can do two things, just two, be quick to forgive and be quick to repent. Be quick to forgive and quick to repent. So all throughout life, as I've grown, as I've developed, I've always kept that in my mind that if I'm going to do anything, man, I got to be quick to repent and I got to be quick to forgive. What does repent mean? You know, repent doesn't mean regret. You know, I heard somebody say the other day that they were thankful for the good times and the bad times, the smart things and the dumb decisions. And I said right back at them, I'm not, I got to tell you, I don't look back at some of the airhead decisions I made and say, man, I'm grateful I did that dumb thing. No, I wish it would have never happened. I have grace for myself. I move on. But we got to learn to forgive, to be quick, to repent. But repent doesn't mean remorse. It means to change your mind so much so that you change your actions. You see, that's what we got to get right as believers and as Christians is when it says that you, when you believe in Jesus, it doesn't just mean to say a prayer. It also means to change your life. It means to believe in something, to believe in someone so much that you choose to do what they say. Are you going to do it perfectly? No. But can you choose to do it faithfully? Yeah. Quick to repent and quick to forgive. My favorite lesson Jesus gave on forgiveness is found in Matthew 18, verse 21. It all starts with the question posed by Peter. We can so easily read it, glance over it, think nothing about it. Peter comes up to Jesus and asks, Master, how many times must we forgive? Seven times? We read that, we don't think anything about it. But in that day, in Jewish culture, you only had to forgive three times. If somebody offended you a fourth time, man, you could say whatever you want. You could do whatever you wanted to do. You could hold whatever you wanted to hold. So Jesus, or excuse me, Peter, ever the overachiever, 
little mouthy, little bit of a show off at times, more than doubles it, adds one, says, Jesus, how many times should I forgive? Seven times. And Jesus says, no, 70 times seven. 490 times. Was Jesus giving us a mathematical equation? No. I believe Jesus was just saying, forgive as many times as it takes. Forgive as many times as it takes. And then, like Jesus does all the time, he goes into a story. And he equates himself to the king in the story. He says, once upon a time, there was a king and a kingdom. And he had a servant who owed a debt of 10,000 bags of gold, what they called a talent. Now, a talent was worth 20 years wages. One talent. I was reading an article the other day. It said the median U.S. income is $52,000. So I times that, times 20, came to $1.04 million. Now times that times 10,000. And you come to $10.4 billion. That is unforgivable. You think anybody's going to pay that back? This servant owes the king over $10 billion. King had him thrown in jail, but one day he's feeling merciful, forgives the man of his debt, and says, you know what? You're not going to be able to, uh, to pay this back. I forgive you. I release you. Go home. Go back into business. We're good. The servant goes back home, goes back into his business, doing his thing, and one day someone comes across him, and this man owes him money. He owes him 100 silver coins. A silver coin was a day's wages. 100 days wages. Today's wages, $15,000. And he got so upset with this person who owed him money that he went to the authorities. He went to the police. He said, this man's in debt to me. Throw him in jail. The man gets thrown into jail. Guess who hears about it? King. King wasn't happy. King was probably pretty angry. And he had the servant brought to him. He says, how could you not even forgive him when I'm forgiving you? You know what? Go back into jail. You'll never pay the saw. And Jesus closes this story in verse 35 by saying, in the same way, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you, unless you forgive your brother and sister from your heart. Man, you didn't want to come to church and hear this today. See, the truth is, when we forgive others, we can receive God's forgiveness. But when we don't forgive others, we are blocking ourselves from receiving the forgiveness that God has for us. See, my love for God, your love for God is proven not in just how you love him, but how you love the people that don't look like you, act like you, behave like you, vote like you. Do you love them then? So here's how I walk this out. Anytime I get offended or have a chance to be offended, I have an offense come in my life. 
Man, a lot of times it could be something petty. could be something really small. could be something big. But what I'll do if I'm alone, I'll say it out loud. If I'm with people and this person comes to mind, I kind of feel that twinge in my stomach. I'm like, ugh, man. I hate when I th- think about this person. Is that too real? Like, we, we all have those people. Pastor, you're not supposed to. I know. That's why I'm about to do what I'm about to tell you. And I say, I forgive. I'll say their name by faith in Jesus Christ. I release them right now. Brandon, how many times do you do that? As many times as it takes. Sometimes, five times. Sometimes, 25 times. Sometimes, 1,000 times. But man, he forgave the inexcusable in me. No one has wronged me the way that I have wronged the Lord and not equating, not even living up to his standard of holiness. And because he's forgiven me, man, we can choose to forgive others. There's a Matthew uh, 18 beginning of this verse, I was looking at this message. I was like, man, in the future, this is going to be three separate weeks. And I split it out. But verse 15, Jesus is talking about forgiveness even before Peter. This is prefacing Peter's question. And he says, if your brother offends you, go and tell your closest friends about it. No. He said, if your brother offends you, go directly to your brother. Tell him about it. See if you can make it right. Didn't say to go to your pastor. Didn't say to go to your friend. Didn't go to say any of these other things. Said to go to the person. See, we had to put this as a policy, like with our staff, with our church, because we've had people not do this. But it's something that we as believers have to live by. Man, if someone offends me or Maybe it's a reoccurring thing that I'm going to wait till most of the emotions pass. I'm going to find the right time. I am certainly not going to do it over a text message. I'm going to make it quick and easy and painless as possible. And typically, I won't even try and bring it up. I'll just deal with it on my own, and I'll get over it. No reason to bring it up sometimes. But sometimes, you do need to bring it up. You got to get things addressed, things worked out. And you can win that person back. Forgive as many times as it takes. Number three, forgiveness should help your boundaries, not eliminate them. You know, when you forgive people, it doesn't mean that you give them the same exact place and voice in your life. You know what that's called? Foolishness, not Wisdom. You know, forgiveness is required for you, but trust is not. I love this movie, Meet the Parents. A lot of you have probably seen it. Just looking at that picture made me laugh earlier. I love that, I love that picture. Made me think of the movie. But if you haven't seen it, or those of you that have, you, re- you remember that Greg is played by Ben Stiller, and he proposes to his girlfriend, Pam, and she says yes with kind of a butt. She said, I want you to run about my dad. And they go to a wedding where they're going to be at and go to her family's house first. And Greg will do whatever he can do to try and get 
in the right group with Jack and Dina Burns. Whatever he needs to do. He'll do a lie detector test. He'll go above and beyond because Jack has this thing that he talks about that is exclusive and elusive. And he calls it the circle of trust. Draws a little line. Says, Greg, you're over here. One day, if you do things right, you can be in here. The circle of trust. You know, in the same way, I think that we should have a circle of trust. You know, you're supposed to love everybody. I haven't found a verse in the Bible that says you're supposed to trust everybody. You know what makes me laugh? I've never heard this verse preached. I'm sure it has been preached. John chapter 2, verse 23 through 25. Jesus had just begun his ministry. And he says, because of the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many began to trust in him. But Jesus didn't trust them because he knew all about people. No one needed to tell him about human nature, for he knew what was in each person's heart. You see, God, Jesus, loves everybody. Everyone is offered love. Everybody is offered forgiveness. But you know, God doesn't trust everybody. You know, trust isn't just given. Trust is earned. It takes time to build trust. Scripture says, like I said last week, that God is looking throughout the world for faithful people. God wants to put his trust in people that have proven and shown themselves to be faithful. I've had multiple incidences in my life and in angels where there's been reason for offense. And sometimes people come up to us after and they think that we might be offended when in reality, all that happened is we forgave and then created a little space. Because just because this person had a voice in my life or they do the same thing over and over and over again, forgiveness doesn't eliminate boundaries. Man, if anything, it makes you put a double-decker fence around, right? Like you're like, this is what has to be in place. Boundaries are a good thing. It's not mean. It's not wrong. It's smart. See, sometimes if we let the same people back in, we can't get mad when the same thing happens over and over and over. And so many times we get mad at people that are sucking the life out of us. Meanwhile, we're handing them a straw to do so. Forgiveness should help your boundaries, not eliminate them. Close with a story. Another king in a kingdom story. Once upon a time, there was a king ruling his kingdom. He was quite the king, too. He had all the admirable, good traits of a leader. Man, he was merciful. He was just. He was courageous. He lived by a high code of ethics. People admired him. They respected him. They honored him. The citizens loved their king. And man, the king loved his people. He loved the citizens. And believe it or not, there was peace in the entire land. There wasn't any crime. 
until one day it was discovered that there was a thief loose in the land. And the king knew that if he didn't do something about it or say there was going to be a punishment, that crime would begin to sprout up and happen more often. So he wanted to nip it in the bud. And he says, when we find this thief, they're going to get 20 lashes on the back. But the crime continued. The king comes out again and says, when we find this thief, they're going to get 40 lashes by whip on their bare back. The crime doesn't just continue. It escalates. It gets much worse. The king comes back out. So when we find this person, they're going to get 60 lashes by whip on their back, knowing that the king was the only person in the kingdom that could live and withstand such a beating. He's trying to eradicate evil. And one day, they find the thief, bring the thief forward. The king sees her. He says, Mom, nobody in the land like he loves his mom. His mom's his favorite person. He loves his mom. He's got a dear love for her. And people are speculating. They're talking in the country, wondering what the king is going to do. On the one hand, is he just going to let this person go and crime is unpunished if you're the right person? Or is the king going to kill his mom? And everybody's wanting to see what the king will do. And a large number of people come to the sentencing. And the king comes to the middle of the central square of the city. And the floggers there. And hundreds and thousands of people are there. And the, and the mom comes. And she's shuffling through. And she's kind of weak and frail by this time. And right when she sees her son, she starts crying. And she said, I'm so sorry for what I did. She sobs and cries and finally regains composure. She's walked over to the stand. She's on her knees, back hunched over. The flogger's right here and he raises his strong, muscular arm and right when he's about to release and bring it down, the king over here yells, stop. The king walks over to his mom, punches over with his broad, strong frame, completely covers her, looks at the flogger and said, execute the sentence. And the king took all 60 lashes for his mother. And in the same way, Jesus has taken your lashes. Jesus has forgiven the inexcusable in you. And he chose to. Whenever he forgives someone and releases someone, he always says, now go and do the same. Offense is a moment, but offended is a choice. It's a choice. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, God, we just humbly come before you. We're just so grateful for your mercy. Grateful for your love. God, we see you in the king. We see how just you are, how loving you are, how holy you are. 
God, we know that there's a penalty, that there's a cost, but that you bore our penalty, you bore our shame, you carried our sicknesses, our diseases, our sins once and for all. And God, we're grateful. Something I want to do, every head bowed, every eye closed, just between you and the Lord. May you heard this message and maybe somebody came to mind. Maybe a group of people came to mind. And I wouldn't worry about the people that you don't even remember. You might have been young, whatever. You kind of moved on. But there's people that are popping up in your mind. Man, will you just, will you kind of mutter under your breath what I did early and just say, I forgive. Say their name quietly. By faith. In Jesus, I release them. And every time they come to your mind and you feel that twinge in your stomach when you get a little angry all over again, you just got to do it over and over and over as many times as it takes. If you're sitting in the room today, say, Brandon, man, you're preaching. I I realize, you know, I, I haven't even made the decision to follow Jesus. Or maybe you made the decision, but you've kind of fallen far and away and you're ready to come back to him. The Apostle Paul says that today is the day of salvation. It's not tomorrow. It's not a week or a year from now or when life changes. No, today's the day. And you feel that in your heart. You know, today's your day. Come on, will you just pray with me? Pray with all of us. Everybody in the room, say this. Say, Father, I receive your love. Jesus, I believe you died that you lived a perfect life and you rose again for me. I receive your salvation. I am saved. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. If you're watching online or you're in the room, you made that decision. Scripture says that a miracle just happened, that you look exactly the same on the outside, but you're entirely new on the inside, that you have been made right with God despite your flaws, despite your imperfections, despite any sin in your life, that because of Jesus bearing your price, that you are forgiven once and for all time. Jesus said that if you acknowledge me on earth, that I will acknowledge him in heaven. But if he doesn't acknowledge me, I can't acknowledge him. Man, this is the safest room to do it in. If you made that decision, you prayed that prayer for the first time or you rededicated your life, I'm just gonna count to three. Will you just raise your hand? One, two, three. Anybody in the room? That's fine. If you're online, you can just type the words, I am saved. A team member will reach out to you. We'll get together, connect with you, to help disciple you. All right, we love you guys. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, Thank you for coming out to Oaks today. I'll be out in the lobby. Uh, Got hardbacks and paperbacks, but I'm going to turn it back over to Travis. Thank you, guys. We pray this message has blessed your life. And if it has, we want to invite you to sow into what God is doing here at Oaks Church. It's as simple as going to oakschurch.com and clicking the Give button. On behalf of Oaks Church, Thanks for listening and have a great week.